The big question is this, how do investors like us who don't have a PhD in finance or millions of dollars to start investing effectively grow our wealth with equities, bonds, cryptocurrencies, and more in a way that allows not only for short-term gains, but also significant long-term growth while staying true to our core? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Awesome. So the first investment we're going to look at is Home Depot. And as we get into these investments, as we get into these, as it's just these trades and these stocks, uh, it's really, really important to understand sort of where we're coming from. Now, depending on where you are, where you're starting from, time horizon, like the time horizon you have might uh, be very, very, very different. Uh, for most people, the time horizon is kind of along the same path uh, as most people, and it kind of comes down to this concept of how you want your portfolio to be balanced, right? You want it all in stocks, you want it all in indices, you want it all in bonds, you want other assets, you want other things. And uh, what's interesting is this is not like the easiest question to answer, and the reason why is because everything comes down to a concept called correlation, and without spending five hours up here, it's gonna be difficult for me to sort of show you how one stock is correlated with 400 other stocks. Now, each and every other stock is gonna be individually affecting each other, but what I can do is I can share with you the 30,000 foot view. I can share with you really the, the big key core takeaway from it that's gonna actually get you a majority of the results, and it all comes down to this concept of if you have one asset class that's moving one way, and that goes up in one period of time, and you have another asset class, does that asset class move up at the same time? Or does it move down? Or when they both move down, do they both move down? Or if one goes up, the other one goes down? How much are they related? And it's a pretty basic concept, but it's really, really critical because if you have a portfolio and say half of your portfolio is in one stock we're gonna call umbrella, okay? And the other stock you own in your portfolio, your two stock portfolio, is a stock called Sunscreen Cup, okay? And when Sunscreen Co. goes up, uh, Umbrella Co. goes down. When Umbrella Co. goes up, Sunscreen Co. goes down. And as this happens, what's cool is your actual portfolio is gonna kinda look something like this. And it'll go up and up and up and up and up. And what's cool is when you do this, what you're doing is you're minimizing volatility. You're minimizing short-term risk. Now, this is cool because you know, in your mind, your portfolio stays constant. It only grows and it grows and it grows and it grows, and you don't actually see those really big swings that are happening under the hood. You don't see these huge swings under the hood if you only had one of these investments. But what's also interesting is at the end of the day, you'll notice that you will have the exact same amount of money, no matter which one you invest in, is the same as you would if you invest in both. And the reason why is because they are basically perfectly inversely correlated. And this goes with any other market that you have. You know, commodities and currencies, mostly commodities, like hard assets, will generally go towards the, to 10 down as the markets go up, but then they'll go up a bunch and the markets go down. And what's cool is if you know the weather, you can actually sort of time this. And it's obviously not easy, especially with indices and with overall stock markets to actually time the market. It's a very, very difficult, difficult thing to do. But if you're like half right, and you decide that you're gonna sell your umbrella stock here, and you're gonna buy, or you sell your sunscreen stock here and buy the umbrella stock here, like you don't have to time the exact peak to make a bunch of money as they cross over and sunscreen goes down a bunch and umbrella goes up a bunch, maybe because it's summer instead of winter, maybe because a huge storm comes in for a month or so. And so that's a, a really important concept to understand going into this because each of these investments, they're made not just because of potential upside, but also because of diversification, right? 
especially when you're starting out, and I mean, this is when I was starting out, at least, you know, a year after, two after, like, I didn't want humongous swings in my portfolio. Like, I didn't want it to go up 20% one day and then down 20% another day. Um, that's not what I was used to. Now, nowadays, hell, I can have 30% swing in some of my smaller portfolios and be okay with it because I know that the upside on those investments is hundreds, if not thousands of percentage points. But that's because over time, you know, you get used to things and you get better and better and better and better, better results. And those results lead to more confidence. And so most people when you're starting out, especially if you've only made a couple of investments, maybe you've never actually made an investment before, like if you don't have that confidence, you're starting out sort of at ground zero. The question is, how do we go from ground zero to super, super, super high success? And the answer very, very often is through proper diversification through correlation analysis. Now, I don't want you to sear correlation analysis and think, holy crap, I gotta go take seven years of finance and study this for the rest of my life because that's not what you need to do. It's very, very simple. All you wanna do is go into any stock that exists. Here we have Home Depot, we have the chart. Um, and look, there's a lot of random crap on this screen. I do not want you to worry about whatsoever. There are a couple of lines here, don't even worry about. There are a couple of Ds here, don't even worry about it. There are a couple of indicators here. Don't even worry about it. All I want you to do is click this plus button and we can compare it to the overall market. And this is going to say we just push comparison and we add a line that represents the S&P 500, which is the SPY, right? Or the GSPC and actually represents the index. And maybe we zoom in a little bit and we can kind of see historically, if we kind of minimize this a little bit, if the market goes up, it looks like, you know, Home Depot stock usually kind of goes up a lot, but usually Home Depot stock goes up a little bit more than the market. Usually, um, if we're looking at, you know, percent returns, um, portfolios with a lot of Home Depot stock probably go up sort of following the trend of the overall market, which we're gonna represent with the S&P 500. But it, it, you know, it's done pretty freaking well. It, it usually outperforms the market. If you look at it historically, ever since it went public, and first started trading in like the 1980s, it's really, really outperformed the market. You can tell that because it goes up 20,000%, whereas the market goes up like 750%. And so that's um, one of the really great reasons that this would be sort of a, a good stock to start with, a good investment looking back, and as I first made this investment, is because over time it's historically done really, 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 really well. Now you can also sort of add comparisons and sort of compare it to something like a retail ETF. Um, and what we're gonna look at a lot are comparisons to ETFs. Here's the XRT, this is the Spider S&P retail ETF. And you know, Home Depot's a little bit in the industrials, a little bit in retail, but you can kinda see, historically, they have sort of followed the retail ETF until they broke out recently. And so this is a little bit of a simple exercise you can do, and all you really wanna do is you wanna click this comparison button in Yahoo um, Finance, and it'll allow you to sort of compare one stock to another, allow you to compare, specifically when you're comparing a stock to an index, what you're looking at is a number called beta. And you're gonna see this as a five monthly average on Yahoo Finance. And basically what it says is if you've got Home Depot stock right here, you've got the market right here, what is the correlation between the two? And so you can see for Home Depot uh, and uh, the S&P 500, the correlation is almost perfect, it is almost identical. And the reason why is because it only looks at the last five years. And basically what that means, a, a correlation of one, means that we're gonna kind of draw a chart here, okay? And we'll have, We'll have one, and we'll have zero, and we'll have negative one. So what one means is if we'll say this is the S&P 500, and this will be the S&P 500 for all of them, okay? And then we're gonna draw sort of our, our stock in this black color, okay? Now if our correlation is one, then if the S&P goes up 1%, we should go up 1%. If the S&P goes up, we should go up. If the S&P goes down, we should go down. If it goes up, we should go up, down, we should go down. Up, we should go down, we should go down. 
Now, this is true on sort of an overarching level of size. This is why this beta number is useful, because it allows you to look at correlation on sort of an overarching level. Now, once we have a sort of another correlation would be zero. Now, this zero um, would basically be our example with sunscreen umbrellas. So this would be if the S&P goes up, we go down. If it goes down, we go up. If it goes up, we go down. If it goes down, we go up. And it just is like the exact opposite of what the market does. It's the exact opposite. So that's going to give us a net beta of zero because we're doing the exact opposite of the market. And this is um, like it's good if you think that you're going to make a lot of money in a downturn, or if you want to like think that you'll have no risk. But in reality and in practice. Like this doesn't work, and the reason it doesn't work is because we just looked at the S&P 500, and we just looked at like the overall stock market, and over time, like the market does nothing but go up and 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 go up. And so, if you have a market that does nothing but go up and go up and go up and go up and go up over the long term, you don't want to really be doing the opposite of that. And the reason why is because you'll just go down and 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 go down. Now. This isn't to say that you shouldn't invest in stocks that have a, uh, a beta that's like near zero or as we're about to get to less than zero. And the reason why is because with shorter term investments or swing trades, like beta doesn't really matter. And the reason it doesn't matter is because most of those trades are going to be based more on technical analysis. And when you're basing something more on technical analysis, a lot of what we're uh, analysis, like these key statistics, these core foundational concepts, they don't really matter as much because what you're looking at is more so the actual price of the stock. You're looking at the actual chart. And when you're looking more at the chart, you know, it doesn't really matter as much. All I'm doing is sitting here and just looking at Home Depot without any comparisons, without any fundamentals, and I just kind of know that these guys make and they sell sort of like standard retail uh, home goods and other kinds of like industrial goods to consumers. And I can look at this chart all day, and it's not gonna matter if I know about these in these little numbers here, if I know what their beta is, if I know what their correlation is. Like if all I'm doing is trading off of the price level, and all I'm doing is saying, wow, you know, this is a pretty interesting like W-ish kind of thing, and I might add another indicator here. Um, I might look at the Bollinger Bands and actually see that um, during this little period right here, it hit the top, and then it bounced, and then it hit the top, and then it bounced. Um, not a perfect setup, but if all I'm doing is looking at setups like that, if all I'm doing is looking at candles, I'm, like, I don't actually care about the underlying stock, because I know that I'm only going to hold this position for maybe you know a month, or, or maybe two or three months. And I'm playing it based exclusively on the price. And so when you base more of your trades on technical analysis, uh, what happens is pretty interesting. You start to move sort of away from actual fundamentals, and instead you move towards looking at the overarching price. And we're gonna see a couple of examples in this portfolio where we actually base trades way, 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 way more on technical analysis. But for this investment in with Home Depot, um, this trade was not really based as much on technical analysis. And the reason why is because there was such a well-known huge base. Oh, by the way, before I forget, uh, a beta of negative one basically means that if, um, the market goes down, or the market goes, uh, the market goes up, you're gonna go down. If it goes down, you're gonna go. So this, what we just drew here, uh, would actually be a beta of negative one because with a beta of one, right, you're you're 
mimicking the exact performance of the comparison indicator, which for this beta, uh, for the most common beta is going to be compared to the S&P. So with a 1, you're going to be perfectly correlated to the actual S&P. With a negative 1, it's going to be the exact opposite. That was, that was my fact. Negative 1 is the exact opposite. A 0 is actually really simple. It's what you would think it is. Like, no matter what the S&P does, it just, basically the stock is flat and does nothing. You're never really going to see stock with an exact zero beta, but you will see kind of some energy stocks and some more um, quote-unquote safe investments in the utility sector. And those stocks will have a beta that's closer to zero. It'll be much less than one very often. And so that's sort of that. So anyway, coming back to this investment, it's really important to understand what you're investing in at a core level. It's really important to understand like why this company deserves to make money. A lot of what they do is, is a very, very, very simple strategy, very simple technique. And they think like, would I buy things from this company? And so for many people, the answer to that question is, you know, I go to Home Depot all the time. For many people, the answer is, you know, if I see people that need help repairing their home or they need something new in their house, I see them at Home Depot. And so of course they are a business. Of course they're a good company. Of course they make money. And that's sort of a, a really, really simple, like intuitive, you know, this sounds like a good company. I see them make a lot of money, and therefore I invest in this company. And this is where a lot of people start off with when they start investing in anything. They think, you know, oh, I drive for Lyft, I should buy Lyft stock. Oh, I uh, shop at Nike, I should buy Nike stock. Oh, I find I, you know, subscribe to Netflix, I should buy Netflix. And this is how a lot of people start out. The reason why is because it's very basic, very simple, and it's pretty, it works in bull markets. It works when everybody's going up, it works when sort of everything's growing because you can really get into almost anything and if the market's good enough, it's gonna carry you up. Uh, but when it sort of starts to fall apart is when you start to have difficult, you start to have challenges. And when maybe instead of 100% of the stocks going up, you have maybe you know five that go up consistently, but then you know a couple of them start to go down. So a couple of them don't do as well. And that's why when you make different investments, you obviously expect that there is going to, at the end of the day, be a group that goes down, there's going to be a group that goes up. And you want to have more stocks that go up than stocks that go down. Um, and that's sort of the core of a portfolio. When you aren't 100% sure of what's going to happen, when you're not you know, 100% confident of like how these investments are going to move. Like if you don't know with certainty that like these four stocks are going to absolutely crush it for you, or these are going to be really bad when you should ignore those, and you're starting out and you're not 100% sure, like, I mean, I was 100% sure, like, no one's 100% sure, no one, um, especially when you're starting out, it's tough to kind of know where you're starting at, and so you have to start somewhere, so when you're starting somewhere, it's really critical to sort of have a little bit of this diversification so you can learn the game without risking your entire portfolio, and what's cool is what this lets you do is it lets you kind of run away from a trap that a lot of people fall into, where they use, like, fake investments or fake money to start learning about investing, because at the end of the day, and in total reality, you're not going to achieve this confidence that we're looking for, and you're not going to actually become more comfortable with your investments if you don't put your ass on the line. You don't actually put your money in a portfolio. Now, you don't have to have a huge position. It could be a $5 investment. It could be a $20 investment. Like, that's not a big deal, right? That's like your lunch, right? But you just want to make sure that you're starting out with actual investments. Home Depot, you know, it's $153 stock. Like, you only can buy one share of them, and then you can see how it works out. Or you can maybe not have one share of them. Uh, or at least it was 153 when it got in. But you know, you, you don't have to put everything in the line, but it's really important that you start out with your investment. Start out actually putting it in because the, the psychology behind it is so, 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 so critical. So with that said, I'm talking about how I actually got into this investment. So the first thing I want to kind of disclaim here is that these statistics are going to be like years and years and years out of date of when I got into these investments. 
And the reason why is because like I got in a while ago, and so they've obviously changed. So they're not going to be sort of as useful as if we were, you know, in a time machine going back in time. Now, fortunately, I, I do not have a time machine, but I, I still kind of remember a really big chunk of everything that went into these investments, and so I think we should we should be soft. So the first really big thing for me with the PE um, on Home Depot, the PE used to be a lot lower from what I believe. And what's cool is if you want to look at some of these core statistics, if you want to look at some of these fundamentals, and you want to sort of see how a company's moving, there are two really, really special tabs in Yahoo Finance that you can use. These two tabs are literally gold. Now, the first tab is pretty basic. It's the statistics tab. Uh, it's not the conversation tab. And what's cool about the statistics tab, you can see stuff uh, like where their money is, where their assets are, where uh, their float is. Float is going to be huge. This is going to tell you how fast stock is going to move. A lower float, you know, especially when you're doing into active money management, if you have a float of like 40 million shares, you're going to see a lot more volatility than a float of something with, you know, a billion shares. Um, and so float again is tradable shares. And after that, you kind of start to see some of these really important statistics. And I don't want to be overwhelmed by this because most of these don't actually matter. Like everything over here doesn't really matter. You kind of can tell that by looking at a chart. Everything up there pretty much, you know, it kind of matters. Uh, but most of this stuff, like I just wouldn't really worry about it that much. You just want to look at some core things like the short percent of float. And you can see right here that about 0.8% of their float is short. And what that means is about 0.8% of people buying the stock right now are shorting it. And usually when you have a really, 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 really low amount of people shorting, it very often means that a stock is at its peak and it's about to go down. And when you have a lot, 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 lot of people shorting, it very often means that a stock is approaching its bottom and it's about to reverse. And you'll see this so, 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 so often where people see super high short ratios and then they're like, oh my gosh, you better, better buy this stock up, or better sell it, better sell it, because everybody's shorting it. And in reality, really high short ratios very often correlate to a great time to buy because what? Because um, as the price goes up, the people who are short are going to have to get out of their position. They're going to have to, you know, they're going to hit a stop loss very often. So when they hit a stop loss, that creates buying pressure. Um, and what's also interesting is this concept that the majority are usually, they're usually wrong. The majority usually don't really know what's going on. And so you'll have like this big group of people that are saying one thing and very, very often and so, so, so much, you, you actually realize that the minority, this little small subset of people, the ones who aren't part of that really big short float ratio, the ones who aren't part of the humongous uh, sellers are the ones who are actually correct. And I, I remember I kind of learned this a while ago. I remember like one of my first events where you go to one of these this stock in this uh, this mountain class was buying Nvidia stock. And it was one of the first investments I had ever made. I was getting it, and uh, because of that, it was super super overweight in my portfolio. Uh, I had no clue how to diversify. I had no clue what about correlation was, and it was like I just had like a it was a bad 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 portfolio waiting. But I had a, I had a good chunk of my portfolio, I mean quarter of it in Nvidia stock. And you know at the time, video was at say 100 bucks, and I sort of bought into the stock, and I, I had held it for about a month or two. And at the time, I was sort of learning and learning and learning about this game that we're getting into with technical analysis. And one thing I was learning about was a concept called a downward wedge. Now, for those of you who don't know, a downward wedge is basically when you have a stock, and the stock kind of runs up, runs up, runs up. And then the price consolidates into this downward wedge. We have this line right here, we have this downward line right here, 
This downward wedge is literally gold. It is absolutely phenomenal. And what happens is you have this breakout point right here where it breaks out the downward wedge. And what's cool is with swing trading and with long-term investments, these downward wedges almost exclusively and historically always mean that the price is going to go up. And usually the price will go up a minimum by the amount of this run-up right here. So you take this run-up and you add it to the top, and that's usually kind of what you can expect the price to go to. These are really, really phenomenal, phenomenal little chart of patterns you can see in the charts. Uh, the only little difference for active money management is when you're looking at really, really active like 90 new trading, um, those downward wedges can go up or down, so you have to be a little bit more careful. But with long-term investments, they pretty much exclusively mean that the price is going to go up. But for me, the challenge was, you know, I was learning about this, I was learning, I was learning, I was learning, and I was looking at all these sites, all these numbers, all these statistics, and there's lots of out there that just doesn't work. Lots of out there that's just wrong. And I remember I was reading all these different sites about like technical patterns and setups and just stuff that was like looking back at it flat out wrong, but I didn't really know at the time. And I had all these people and they were telling me about how this setup, how this downward wedge was actually bad and how bad the stock was going to go down and how it was super, super awful. And so I just want to frame you kind of coming into this, that like that's sort of what I was um, exposed to, which was totally wrong, but I didn't really know any better at the time. And so I remember I was, uh, I was going to school and my mom, you know, she dropped me off at school, I couldn't drive yet. And as she, as I, you know, close the door, I have my backpack and walk into the front door of the school. And I realized, like, oh my gosh, I left my phone in the car. And the reason I was freaking out was because, like, that day was the day that NVIDIA reported earnings after the market. And what's cool is when you have some uh, setups, when you have wedges, when you have patterns and triangles and other kinds of technical setups that we'll see over and over and over again, when you have setups like that, what happens is a crucial event, like a key moment that can really change everything is an earnings report. They're a really big catalyst for change. It's just like them reporting a ton of news one day. Like that's gonna be a really big catalyst for change. And so with NVIDIA, because they had this really big catalyst coming in, I was like, oh gosh, oh gosh, I better see what's going on. I can't forget, I can't remember my phone. And I, I just like couldn't miss it, right? And so I remember I was running like through the parking lot, like sprinting past these cars, because my mom was driving away. Like she's going to work, she's out of there. And I, I like running the back, uh, running towards the car. And as I'm running towards her car, you know, she sees me in the mirror, I guess. So she slams on her brakes. And, and at the time, I played, I played trombone. I grew up playing trombone. Uh, I had this big trombone in my hand. And so when you have like a trombone, trombones are pretty big. They're, they're kind of heavy, especially if you have a big case on them. Um, and so my trombone like has a lot of mass and it's difficult if you guys know some basic physics to sort of slow down great masses in a short period of time. And so because of that, I was like one foot away from the car and she slammed on the brakes. And so I just kind of like slammed into the back of the car. Like my whole body just like falls over the back of this car. Um, and my trombone like slams into me. Thankfully it didn't damage the car, which is great. But anyway, and I started like ramming back the car. I was like, oh my gosh, what's up? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm okay. I just need my phone. <laughs> got my phone. And so we opened up the trunk and get my phone. And uh, I think having my phone that day changed my life. And so I, I get in, I bring it to school. You know, throughout the day, like, you know, I, I could care less about the crap we're learning. I'm just, I care about stocks. So I'm just looking at my phone all day, looking at what people are saying about NVIDIA stock on the news and stuff. You know, when I grew up, and I know most people grew up, they think like the news is like the godsend. What the majority of people say, which is usually, you know, this is like the news, this is the media, is like the best thing ever, and it's gotta be correct, and it's so smart, and this is what everyone needs to know. And so I, I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading all these articles and all this stuff I have finance, and everyone's saying like, you know, the NVIDIA is gonna crash, you're gonna do awful. Because like we said with this, with this little triangle setup, 
you remember there's that really big run-up before the wedge, and that's called, you know, a bull flag when you have that big run-up. And over the past couple of months, throughout the first year, you know, Nvidia stock over the past year had gone up from $30 to about $100. I mean, their stock had literally tripled. It was, it was a phenomenal, it was just huge, 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 huge growth. And so when that happens, you know, you're gonna have people that are like, this is terrible. But it was like every single article I read, like out of the 40 or 50 articles, were like, Nvidia's gonna crash, the earnings are gonna be awful, they're gonna lose all their money, it's gonna be the worst. When you have like masses of people telling me that, looking back at it and knowing this now, like those people are totally wrong. There was the, that's the exact opposite of what's gonna happen. I didn't really know that at the time. And so because I didn't know that, I saw all these articles, I saw all these news people, I saw everybody talking about how Nvidia stock was gonna crash, it was gonna be awful. And I also saw this, you know, fake article about how downward wedges actually meant stock was gonna go down, which is totally wrong, totally a lie. And so I'm like, crap, I gotta get out of this position. And so I take my phone at lunch and I call my broker and I'm like, hey, you know, can you, you gotta sell this position. It wasn't even my broker because I was so young at the time. I didn't understand, um, if you guys don't know about this, this will change your life, it's so cool. UGMA. UTMA accounts, uh, if you're under 18, these are gold. They are absolutely gold. These will allow you to invest in stocks and manage your own portfolio before you turn 18. And depending on the state you're in, you just have to pick the right one. Uh, one of these should in your state expire when you're 18, so you get all the assets when you're 18 for a majority of the states that exist. It's a state-by-state -state kind of account. And that's the reason I don't actually have a lot of the investment. I don't have any of the trades from, for, for a lot of these, I don't have the actual trades. The reason why is because I don't, I don't actually own these accounts. This is like I was investing under my dad's name. I was investing under my mom's name, and subsequently I was paying like forty percent taxes on all the money I made, which was really, really bad. But you know, you, you play the game to whip. You know, I mean, I'm happy to pay taxes if I can make a bunch of money. And I mean, if you triple the market, then it makes no sense to not pay the taxes, right? So anyway, this is gold because like I didn't have this at the time, so I could just log into my broker on my computer. I could log into my broker on my phone and just like sell the stock. So I call my dad and I'm like, Hey, dad, um. Can you sell this stock? And he's like, yeah, you sure about that? You've only had it for three months and you've only up, you know, I've made like four or 5% on the trade. Cause the stock had gone up and down and it had gone to like 95 and then it had gone to like 105 and so it gone up and down a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, it's a 20% annualized return. It's great, I love it. And so he's like, okay, man. So the day before earnings or the day of earnings, you know, he, he sells the stock. It was, it was called grant time. And I was like, all right, sweet, awesome. And that's it, we're done. And then I get home that day, get home after school. I'm sort of sitting at my computer because, you know, I want to know what the heck NVIDIA does. They're reporting earnings. And they're reporting right after market close at like 4.20. I'm sitting there staring at my computer when they report. Like the moment they go through like the first two minutes of the earnings call, I can kind of see the stock. If you look at the stock on I find us on other sites, and you're looking at the stock price. Immediately, the stock just skyrockets up 23%. Uh, and it just explodes. And I was like, oh my god. Oh my god. And I remember seeing this stock go up and 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 up. You know, it, it kind of sat there for the night. And the next day it opened up and then it went down a little bit. I'm like, dude, buy it again, buy it again, buy it again. My dad's like, no, I'm not going to buy it again. It just went up so much. I think over the next eight months or so, uh, the stock went from about $100 to about $300. It, it tripled. And I missed out on all of that. The reason why? Because I followed what the masses were saying. The reason why is I followed sort of what the news the media was saying. I understand this concept that in reality, in almost every single situation, what you're going to actually see alongside the power of technical analysis is the minority of people are the ones who are actually right. And so that's why it's really critical to take 
sort of this different approach when you come to these investments, um, and especially as you look at this number right here called short percent of float, if you have a very small amount of people shorting a stock, it usually means it's about to go down a bunch. And if you have a very large amount of people shorting a stock, it usually means it's about to go up a bunch. So that's sort of the, the, the big, 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 big takeaway. And it's uh, actually, there was a really giant move at Tesla recently, they quadrupled. And you kind of tell beforehand because their short ratio was like 9%. Like, and people are like still shorting it. And I'm like, dude, are you serious? You need to go against that. That is not true. And to give you a frame of reference so that you can look at this statistic and you can look at this and understand it, because when I got into this investment, I saw this really, really, uh, it was probably about a 4% short ratio when I got into this investment from what I can remember. About an average range you can kind of expect with this short ratio, the short percent of float uh, shorted, uh, short percent of float right here, uh, is usually from about 0% to usually about 7%. And anything over 7% is ridiculously high and insanely crazy. Usually that's a really, really strong factor. Now, when I'm sharing with these factors, like it's not like there's only one reason to get into an investment. There are going to be like this pie, right? This pie should have like three or four or five or six different reasons that you actually buy a stock. Like it shouldn't just be based off of one reason, usually. And when you're starting out, it should almost always never be based on one reason. But once you get really good, you can kind of, you can play with the rules a little bit. But if you're starting out, like you should always make sure that you kind of have multiple reasons to get into an investment because if you have maybe only one or two reasons, and one of these reasons gets disvalidated and doesn't work, then you know you might be in a really bad, bad, bad position. You might have to take a, a small loss if you don't have other factors that are actually showing you that this could actually be a good investment, and they turn out uh, to make it a good investment in the end of the day. And so that's kind of the, the the big big takeaway. So anyway, yeah, definitely a really great thing to look at here is short percent of shares outstanding, short percent of float. Um, they're about the same. You gotta look at the short ratio. The short ratio is just the number of trading days that it would take to cover the amount of shares short. Usually anything from, you're gonna see a range from like two to seven, but I, it's a little bit less reliable. I would usually look at the short percent of float because that's, that's more reliable and it translates across stocks a lot better. And so this is sort of, again, the statistics have no clients. It's got a lot of really great information. Basically, all I look at on this page is the short percent of float, which is phenomenally useful. Um, and some of these other statistics you kind of look through and you kind of understand them. They're pretty useful too. But another thing that you, you kind of want to look at is a number called dividend payout ratio. Now, you notice the Home Depot pays a pretty solid 2% um, dividend right now, and it, it's pretty sweet. And a number you want to see here is the payout ratio. So you can see that they pay out 50% of their net earnings as the dividend. That's what this dividend payout ratio, 50.8%, is. they pay about 50% of the net earnings as, uh, as the payout ratio. And so, or it, like they pay that to the shareholders. So every quarter, if you're, when you're holding the stock, you're going to get about you know 2.4 divided by 4. Every year, you're going to get 2.4% back just in free cash, just for holding their stock, um, which is pretty sweet. And so that's you know that's dividend investment. You get free money holding your stock, and that money comes from the money that the actual company makes, which is pretty sweet. It, it's pretty dope. Um, so that's, that's the payout ratio. It's really, you want to just see this number. You'll see sometimes companies, they have like 13 or 14% dividends, which is absolutely insane. Um, and then you'll see the stock, and the stock just goes down and down and down and down and down and down and down. And usually when that happens, these payout ratios are going to be over 100%. These payout ratios are going to be like 200% or 140%, and that is not a stable business plan. You cannot have your payout ratio if 130%, or else you will literally suck out all the money that the company has. So obviously you wanna see these in a sustainable range, and this will come into play a lot more in bigger companies. Bigger companies like Home Depot that are more established are gonna have higher payout ratios and therefore higher dividends, 
than maybe something like a startup. Like a startup and uh, maybe smaller companies or small caps, they're gonna have a cap ratio usually of 0% because they're usually not gonna pay a dividend because usually they wanna reinvest all the free cash flow they have into the company. But with a more established company, they don't really have as much to reinvest in. And so instead, this dividend shows that they have an incentive to sort of give back to the shareholders. And what this usually means in practice is that larger companies are gonna yield lower returns that are a little bit more consistent, a little bit less volatile, a little bit easier to understand. Whereas smaller companies will generally yield higher returns in capital gains, uh, but maybe less in dividends. And I see a lot of people that get tripped up over small companies that don't have dividends, and they're like, I can't invest in that company, they don't pay a dividend. But then the stock goes up like 500%. So really, like if you're constructing a portfolio that you're gonna hold for the next 40 years, and you wanna have dividend income, like you know who you are, and you're gonna wanna get into dividend stocks, and that's totally cool. But for most investors, like, I mean, I can make a 4% dividend or a 2% dividend in like 15 minutes of trading on a Tuesday. Like, it's not that difficult. And so for most investors, what you wanna focus on is capital gains. What you wanna focus on is growth. Like I said, I bought this for 150, though I get $250 stock right now. Like, that is much more than a 2% dividend. So usually, you're buying a stock for the stock. You're buying a stock with the expectation that it will go up or it will go down if you're shorting it or depending on what instrument you use. And this dividend is usually just like a cherry on top. It's usually just like, oh, that's nice, that's a cool thing, I really appreciate that. But it's not like a requirement. And by no means should it be a differentiator between two investments. What it can show is how established a company is, which is great for understanding the investment you're getting into. And it is nice to have free money. Like, I'm not gonna lie, it feels good to have that money come in just for doing nothing. But it's usually like not, it's not critical. And if you do get it, I would highly recommend that you, if you, you most brokers have an option where you can reinvest your dividends, highly recommend that you reinvest your dividends because what it's gonna let you do is have your growth curve go compounding and compounding and compounding and compounding and compounding because you always wanna be reinvesting your profits. At least the majority, I mean, most of the profits you wanna reinvest as much as you can because the more you reinvest, the more growth that you're going to have. Um, now there's another number on here that's very, very, very important, and this is book value. And you can calculate this book value all by yourself by taking the number of assets the company has and subtracting liabilities they have. So assets might be something like cash, assets might be something like a factory, might be something like a store, uh, and liabilities might be something like debt. Liabilities might be something like, uh, well usually it's usually debt, so debt, it's usually debt. So you're gonna have total assets and total liabilities. Like on a year to year basis, that might include stuff like payroll or, or whatever. But basically you wanna look at like, if you sell everything in the company, and you sell all the assets, and then you get rid of all the debt, how much money is each share of the company worth? And that's gonna be determined by the accounting, right? So the number of assets minus liabilities. And so you can do that calculation manually, and I'll show you how to in just a sec. But basically, that number is gonna give you a number called the book value per share. This is really important because usually you want the stock price to be kind of close to the book value. And if it's not, and there's a big discrepancy, you should usually be a little bit skeptical of that. Like if the stock is at $100 and the book value is $7, like that's a pretty big discrepancy. And so you can kind of look more at the pricing, look more at the charts to understand the investment at a little bit of a more intimate, a little bit of a deeper level. But um, you definitely want to kind of see these close to each other, especially if you're doing any kind of long-term investment, because if the stock fluctuates very, very, very much away from its actual net book value, then you're, it's, it's a little bit more of a risky investment, right? And I don't say you can't do well, this stock has done phenomenally well, and spoiler alert, the book value per share is about negative 99 cents, which is really bad for a $250 stock. That's 
That's all, that's really, really bad. And so we'll kind of look at their finances in just a second. But basically you want to think, okay, well, why would their book value be so low? And for this company, the reason is, is pretty obvious is because they're in retail, right? So retail is, is very capital intensive. They have a lot of liabilities. They have a lot of debt for all their stores, for all their real estate. Um, so you want to think, think about like, for most companies, you're not going to have as big of a discrepancy. You're not going to have a book value of negative dollars and then have a price of 200. Like that usually doesn't happen. But it did here because, I don't know, man, it told me, uh, and the market's super hot right now. And that's kind of the biggest thing to look at. Other things you can see are like total cash, and that's, you know, if they're a billion dollar company, you want to see at least, you know, a couple billion in cash, like that makes sense. But those are kind of the big things that I kind of look at here. You can also look at stuff like return on equity, return on assets. See, they have a 9,000% return on equity. I, like, I don't really know what that means, but it, it kind of looks good and it kind of sounds like a good thing. I wouldn't recommend going too deep in any of these because again, each of these individually aren't going to be that big of a deal, but you want to see collectively, like, does this look like a good company? And just use kind of common sense. Like they make $110 billion in revenue and the revenue per share is $100. Like that's pretty good. Their quarterly revenue growth is like 4%, 3.5%. Like that's pretty good. And so you just want to use kind of some common sense when you're looking at these fundamental indicators, looking at these fundamentals of like what the heck the company's worth. And if the fundamentals look good, especially for long-term investments, like, like for an active trade, you're not gonna look at this ever. You will literally never see this page for a stock that you're gonna hold for five minutes or 20 minutes. Often, if I have a stock I'm holding for like two months, I won't even bother looking at this. Sometimes I will, uh, but most of the time, I just wanna make sure the company won't go bankrupt in the next two months. As long as they won't go bankrupt in the next two months, I'm cool trading their stock for two months. Um, but if I'm gonna hold something for a couple of years, like with this investment, then you kind of want to understand the core level that this is some kind of competent company and they have, you know, a pretty solid reputation. I mean, like I said, their market cap is literally $280, $270 billion, a couple hundred billion dollars. So you want to make sure that that is a well-supported number. And the way you can do that usually is by coming over here to the financials tab. Now, this financials tab is literally gold. You're going to see so much here that is absolutely amazing. Now, the first thing you're going to see is actually something you're going to see on basically every single page for this stock. And it's this magical little chart over here that shows you their earnings for the past four quarters and the next coming quarter. And what's cool is you can see if they're beating earnings and they're making a bunch of money, or sometimes these might be red bubbles. And you can see that they're missing earnings and they're losing a bunch of money. And usually, if stocks are beating what people think they're going to make and they're making more money than people think they're going to make, they're going to go up a bunch. And if they're making less money than people think they're going to make and they're losing money and they're not beating earnings and they're making red bubbles all over the place, they're going to go down, right? I mean, it's just basic logic. Because you have to remember that these prices and these, these assets are based off of public perception. Stock prices are, are basically solely based off of public perception. And so people think it's going to make $4 a share or $2 a share and it makes a dollar a share. Like, they're not going to do well in most cases. And similarly, if they're making much money, they're going to do really well. Now, what I don't want you to do is look at this chart and look at Home Depot and be and see the earnings report for the next semester or the next um, quarter and say, oh, well, if they lose earnings, I'm going to sell or I'm going to sell before earnings and trade before earnings because, um, I, you know, I think if they beat earnings, they'll go up a bunch. If they miss earnings, they'll go up a bunch. Because in reality, that's just not, it's just not true. And what I've seen over and over and over and over again the earnings reports, unless you are a psychic genius and you know the industry better than anybody else, which you can definitely do if you do enough research, for 95% of situations, earnings reports are 50-50 guesses. And 
like we talked about earlier, if you have a 50-50 guess, you bet 100 on heads and 100 on tails, like that's not going to be a sustainable way to grow your portfolio over the long term. And so with these earnings reports, you really don't know what's gonna happen. And when I say 50-50, what I don't mean is like there's a 50% chance it wins and a 50% chance it loses. Because here's the interesting thing that not a lot of people understand. It actually doesn't matter whether the stock beats earnings or misses earnings. I have seen literally thousands of stocks report earnings over the past couple of, uh, half decade or so. And what happens is really interesting. They report earnings and they make X much money and then people start reading the earnings report and then people that have billions and millions of dollars in the stock will decide on one little scrutinous detail of the earnings report and based off that one little scrutinous detail they will decide whether to buy or they will decide whether to sell. And so a stock could beat earnings by 40% and if people at the top don't like one little scrutinous thing about the earnings report they will sell the shit out of it and the stock will fall down 8% even though they beat earnings. Similarly, if a stock maybe misses earnings by 10% or maybe by 4%, something a little smaller, and then everyone reads the report and these guys with billions of dollars say this one little detail looks really, really good and we see a lot of future prospects for growth here, they're going to put all their hedge fund money into that stock and buy a boatloads of it and the prices get a skyrocket even though they didn't meet earnings. So here's the deal. You can't really predict that. And so these earnings reports are 50-50 chances, not of them winning or beating it or not beating it. They're 50-50 chances of how much the stock's going to, if the stock's going to go up, or the stock's gonna go down. With a stock like Home Depot, this is a bigger company, you guys are swinging about five to 10% on a good earnings report. And so five to 10%, like that's pretty solid for, for people that are making you know 10% a year. If you can predict that, you can make a lot of money. But most often, these are 50-50 plays. And because of, their, like, because of that, it's, um, it's usually like not easy to time earn. It's just a, I mean, if you can do it, if you really know the industry, you can really try to do it. Uh, but it's usually about a 50-50 play that's not going to work out particularly well, particularly consecutively, very consistently. And so if you don't have that consistency, it's really not a great uh, thing to base your investments off of. But what's cool is you have income statements, balance sheet, and cash flow up in your plans. And those three are literally gold, okay? So let me kind of walk you through where these numbers come from because it's important to understand that these aren't numbers that actually get reported like directly out of clients. What happens is, if you want to understand a company at a much more deeper, at a much more intimate level, this portfolio has like, what, 17 stocks or so in it? For about, I would say, nine of those stocks, because I'm holding these investments for a significant period of time, what I did is I went to Google and I looked up company name, annual report. And so for this Home Depot, I believe I read about a quarter of the report from Home Depot because I got the information I wanted out of the first quarter of it. Usually I read the whole thing. For Home Depot, like I looked up Home Depot annual report and I clicked Home Depot investor relations page and then I read the annual report. Every single public company has to have these annual reports. These annual reports are literal gold mines and they also publish them on a quarterly basis. But really what you want to read is the annual reports because they have most of the juicy information. But these numbers coming from the annual reports and the quarterly reports, but for if you're looking at a year by year basis, these numbers are coming from the annual reports. So these aren't numbers that are just like getting made up out of thin air. These are numbers that are coming from the companies themselves that are publishing their data, publishing their statistics, publishing their money to the SEC uh, and to the market, right? And so this is really kind of where these numbers come from. And you can see stuff like revenue, you can see stuff like cost of revenue, like how much they're spending to make their money. And then gross profit, you know, you see these guys, um, you'll notice all numbers are in thousands, that's something that you're going to see very 
very, very often. As you start to look more in annual reports and actual companies, you're gonna see in almost every single company, all numbers are gonna be in thousands. So just take the number and just pretend there are three more zeros on it. Uh, unless, of course, you're looking at super big companies, which are like legitimately crazy. The companies like GE, companies like Apple, they're gonna go berserk and they're gonna put all numbers in millions on all their reports because they just freaking can. So sometimes, like there's a small, small chance all numbers will be in millions. There's also a small, small, small chance if you're dealing with a really tiny company, the numbers will just be in normal numbers. But a vast majority, like 99% of the time, your numbers that you're seeing here are going to be represented in thousands unless they're like a percentage or something like that. So you can see they made, you know, 110 billion in top line revenue and their gross profit was uh, about 40 million or 40 uh, billion, right? You're taking 40 million or 38 million and you're multiplying that by a thousand and you get 40 billion. Um, so that's sort of everything else you can see here. You see they spent a billion dollars in interest. They spent um, 15 billion in net income before tax and then their income tax expense is about $3.6 billion, and that gets you to their net income. And what's cool is you can kind of scroll through this, kind of look through it, and you'll see they have stuff like their actual earnings per share, uh, which is what gets reported over here. They just take the amount of earnings that they have, and they divide that by the number of shares, which is the out, which is the float, like share tradable, the outstanding shares, usually the outstanding shares, not the float, but they're basically very, very similar numbers. And that's what you're gonna see on this first page here. Basically, the big things to see are just like, does this company make money by looking at the top line? And also, over the past four years or so, have they increasingly made more money? So you can see their profits have been increasing, their revenue have been increasing, their, everything they're doing, they're making more money every single year over and over and over again. And so, if all they do is make more money, they should probably go up. Now, it's not a guarantee that they're gonna go up because stock prices are not determined by the amount of money a company makes. Stock prices are determined by what somebody is willing to pay for. They are determined by the public perception of the investment. And so that's important. That's a big kind of distinction to make. These stock prices are not based off of that amount of money they make. But usually, if a company makes more money, investors are gonna see that, and they're gonna buy up the stock, and the stock will probably go up. Most often, in, in normal markets, right? And so that's kind of the expected result, the expected outcome that you have looking at this. Uh, as you're looking at the amount of money the company makes. And so it's a pretty basic self-explanatory thing of like how much money are they actually making. Um, and this balance sheet is actually super, super cool. This is probably one of my favorite tabs to look at. And the reason why is because it gives you insight into where the money's going. So on the previous tab where we were looking at their balance, at their income statement, and we were looking at like how much money they were making, and how much of that money was going to the people. And you gotta remember, it's important to understand where a company is spending its money. So you wanna understand like, okay, does this company put all its money into its employees, or maybe does it put most of its money into its land? Does it put all of its money into its real estate, or maybe is most of the money going into inventory? And so that's sort of a question that you would wanna Google an annual report for, and that's actually the exact question I had when I looked on people when I was first getting into it a long, long time ago. And so all I do is just look up the annual report, okay, and then you're like, okay, well, and then they'll have nice little pretty graphs. Those pretty graphs will be like, we put this much money into this sector of our business, but this much money into this sector of our business, but this much money into this sector of our business. And you'll see this with tons and tons and tons of companies, and you can learn a whole lot about them. I remember I was going through this process for Texas Instruments, and I'm like trying to figure out where all their money comes from. So they make a lot of money. Really great investment. They've done phenomenally well. And I read a report, and I realized that like almost at the time, two percent, less than two percent of their revenue actually came from calculators. And I was like, what? 
because Texas Instruments, like they're all they're known for are calculators, at least from what I have known about them. Like their stock price always like consistently goes up right when the school year starts because everyone thinks that all they do is make calculators. If you actually just dive a little bit deeper and look at the actual annual report and look at their actual little numbers, like all of a sudden you learn that like a vast bulk of their business comes from something called wholesale semiconductor manufacturing where they manufacture giant amounts of semiconductors and sell them to big industrial players to make end products. So they're actually more of like a middleman uh, making like bulk technology products, which I had no freaking clue. And so that was a really interesting insight. It showed me that the company had a lot more revenue potential than just the calculator market, which is super cool. That's how they become a billion dollar company because the calculators are actually just a little teeny part of what they do. But you know, it's like Google, right? Google, they make a vast majority of their money from Google because it's literally the only thing that does Google on the planet. It's a freaking verb. They are basically a monopoly on, on, on Google, right? It means Google. But they make like phones and they try to sell phones and stuff like that. And those phones account for like a teeny tiny tiny minuscule percentage of their revenue. But they use it as a sort of a way to show that like, oh, we do other things. And the public sees them as more than just Google. And they see them as a phone company. They see them as a tech company. They see them as other things. They make money for sure, but nowhere near as much as Google. So it kind of takes the attention away from that monopoly, which is super, super cool. Uh, freaking works of wonders for them. And their stock reflects it, right? So. With that said, what we want to look at here on this balance sheet page is pretty simple. There's this line right here that says total assets, and this line right here that says total liabilities. And those are basically going to be the biggest line to look at. So you can see Home Depot, again, all numbers are going to be in thousands. They have $44 billion in assets, and they have $44 billion, or $45 billion in liabilities, almost $46 billion. So like we talked about earlier, that's going to give you a book value of negative one, give or take, and all you do is you do assets minus liabilities, which is going to be about one and a half, two billion dollars. Then you divide that by the one billion shares outstanding, and actually my math is wrong. Apparently that's one forty-four minus about yeah. So you're, you're getting about you know a dollar negative per share because you do assets minus liabilities divided by the number of shares, which is apparently about one point eight billion shares. So yeah, so that's kind of where you get those numbers from. Forgive me if my math is incorrect, but it, it's pretty close, and that's sort of where you get that from. You don't have to be perfect, because like I said, Yahoo Finance calculates it for you, so you don't actually have to do any of the work, which is pretty nice. But what's important is I can't really reach that high, but if you look out at the top, you can see stuff like cash, you can see stuff like short-term investments, you can see stuff like inventory. And what you might do is look at this and say, what is their $14 billion of inventory? And then you might realize that, holy crap, Home Depot has to have like all of this physical labor and material and things. Uh, mostly like all the materials, all the goods that they have to hold in their stores, it's a lot of money to do that. And so you can kind of see that that's probably where a bunch of that inventory comes from. And you can see other things like depreciation, properties, they have $43 billion in stores, give or take, because they have a bunch of stores, like that makes sense. Usually you want to see depreciation negative, like basically that just shows that they're using tax magic because you can depreciate property, you can depreciate assets, you can depreciate the things that you buy over time so that you don't have to pay taxes on them because you can be a tax magician once you own a business, which is pretty dope. I'm gonna teach a class one of these days on uh, tax stuff. It's gonna be phenomenal, I can't wait for it. But at a very surface level, without going too deep, basically, they just get to like not pay taxes because they own buildings, which is pretty sweet. It, it works out really, really well. And so you, might, you wanna see that like they're doing smart things like that. You also wanna see this line right here called Goodwill. Usually you don't want this line to be huge. Sometimes you see companies and their market cap is like $50 billion. Or, uh, or maybe sometimes, usually this happens with smaller companies. You have companies that have a market cap of like $200 million, give or take, and then like $50 million of their assets come from Goodwill. 
and I'm like, and like 80% of their assets are Goodwill. Um, so that's kind of usually where you can tell that something sketchy is going on with their accounting if this Goodwill number is absolutely massive. Usually this is stuff like branding, this is stuff like trademark. Maybe it's stuff like a new acquisition that they haven't really balanced into their books yet. But, you know, two billion for a company that's making 110 billion in top line revenue is pretty reasonable. You just don't want to see this number be absolutely massive. And then besides that, you have stuff like other long-term assets and non-current assets. Here we see about 26 billion in non-current assets. So this is kind of where, again, you would kind of want to dive a little bit deeper to understand like what they're actually buying. These guys, you know, it's probably stuff like their buildings or, you know, Home Depot, it's, it's a pretty capital intensive game they're playing. But again, you just kind of got to walk through this. You kind of look at stuff like revenue, look at stuff like accounts payable, look at stuff like taxes and understand that, you know, they've got, you know, 8 billion in accounts payable, like somebody's gonna have to pay that money, right? And so you kind of want to understand that. So accounts payable is probably one of the other big things besides debt that um, factors into total liabilities. And besides that, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. You've got liabilities, you've got long-term debt is, is the big one, you know, 28, $27 billion. And so that's really the, the, the big thing to take away from here. And then here at the bottom, all they do is they just kind of break down into stockholder equity and common stock or retain earnings, and then they break it down for the individuals. It's basically like you've got the value of the company and then you've got the book value and then the difference between those two is the stockholders equity and so here you can see that that number is negative because they have a negative book value. So usually you don't want to see that. Usually you want to see a positive stockholders equity because it means that there's a positive book value. It means that the company's actually worth something if you sold all of its assets today. You know, retail's really struggling right now, so I guess that's kind of the story with Home Depot. And it still works out. So why don't we go in now and um, kind of break down the, the actual investment? Because what's interesting is you see a lot of numbers here, and a lot of charts. And these aren't like that important when you actually get into making the investment. Like when you're buying a stock, if you click cash flow and you look at like their, where their money is flowing and how money flows through their business, like you don't actually have to know any of that to own the stock. And sure, it's great to know that they're making 11 billion in net income, but like, you know, all you have to do is take however much money you want to put into the stock and put it into the stock and just push the buy button or push you know, the sell button or whatever. And Really, that's kind of the that's kind of what matters, right? That's the the key 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 uh, factor that you want to focus on is not necessarily you know all the fine details. Um, but you'll learn about these fine details over time. Like it's important to understand that they're spending six billion a year on dividends. It's important to understand that their working capital is about ten billion every single year. It's important to understand that they're spending about three hundred million in stock-based compensation. But at the beginning, like. You know, it doesn't really matter for you to know that they're depreciating their company's assets by two billion a quarter, two billion a year. Because in reality, like all you care about is you want to buy the stock and you know you want it to be worth more at the end of the period, right? And then that's really all it is, and that's really the, the, the key. Let's kind of shift over now to how this investment actually played out and kind of Bigger than that is looking at the actual foundation of why you buy. Now, most of the investments in this portfolio actually came out um, and, and we started making those investments at about the same time, give or take, um, just because that's kind of when I was investing in this portfolio. Um, but we'll kind of see sort of a little bit of difference, a little bit of spread, um, just because sometimes you can get really great timing in the investments just by looking at sort of closer time frame. So, you know, for me, if I want to make an investment and I see 
if there are like two stocks that I want to buy that are super, super high, but the rest of them are super, super low, like I'm not going to be stupid, right? Like I'll buy these stocks that are super, super low, and then I'll kind of wait for these to go down, wait for these to go down, wait for these to go down. And then when they do go down, that's when you can buy them, right? And so then you kind of get the best price possible. Uh, a really cool strategy you can use is you can submit sort of your first order to buy it on one day and then wait a little bit. And when I say wait a little bit, what I mean is like, you know, it's really, really tough to predict the exact bottom or the exact top of a price movement. And these can be big 10, 15, 20% swings because the exact bottom is really not easy to find. The exact top is very, very tough, tough, tough to find. But if you can get close to it, you know, you should be solid. But a cool strategy you can use if you're buying right here is to buy a little bit on one day and then wait a day, wait a couple of days, and then buy a little bit on another day. Um, and if you're holding a stock for 10 years, like it makes sense to wait a couple of days between entry points because you know the stock can keep on going down and you can buy it at a lower price. And then you know you buy it another day if you wait another week or so. And maybe the price goes up a little bit and you buy it at a higher price. But what's cool is if the stock goes down a bunch and it tanks, it's not your entire investment to tank. And you can actually buy it at this lower price and wait for it to come back up, which happens a lot when you have some of these individual stocks. These individual stocks are not going to play like the big boys, like the index funds, right? We see kind of just looking at the past little bit of time here, um, there was this giant drop and then this giant green candle. And so if you're getting in and you're buying, you're buying, you're buying at 180, 170, 180, 170, and then it goes to 160, you, you know, you can make a pretty fair bid just by putting in a bull for your investment at that low point and then expecting the bounce. It's also a nice little green, red, or uh, red, green reversal pattern, right? So you got this really big down candle, this really big up candle, and uh, on the weekly chart, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal reversal pattern. Uh, but we're gonna zoom out a little bit and kind of look at when we got into this investment. I wish I knew about this stock when it was 100 bucks. But basically, we kind of got in like right around here. It wasn't really based off of technicals. It wasn't really based off of um, like core. It was based more off of like this is foundationally and conceptually a solid company. This was much more a fundamental play. You see all this money they're making. It's a little bit, I mean, it's highly correlated to the market. So you kind of know that like if the market's gonna go up, which the market should historically, you know, always go up until you have an inverted yield curve, at which point you sell everything, freak out, short the market, make a bunch of money, and then repeat. Like, assuming the market goes up, you can assume that these individual stocks are gonna go up. When you're starting out, you might not be a genius. You might not know, like I didn't know that Home Depot was gonna you know, go up 40, 50, 60% and I was gonna crush it with it. Like, I didn't really know that. And with a lot of the investments you start off with, you might not really know that because like, it's difficult to like, understand stocks until you actually start making your first couple of investments. You actually start to understand what actually makes a stock move versus what doesn't make a stock move, you know? And so when you're starting off, you might have a couple of investments you make where you're not 100% like genius on it, but you have what I like to call, you have like a gut feeling. You have what a lot of people don't really focus on this, but it's something that I think is really important. You have an internal attraction to the investment. And you say like, look, this like looks like a solid play. This looks like a solid company. And theoretically, this should be a solid company. This should work really well. So. What I want to do is I want to pull up this chart. I want to kind of walk you through the mind that I had first getting into this investment. Um, because what's cool is once you understand sort of the mindset to get into the investment, all of a sudden you can actually figure out how to make these investments over and over and over and over again, which is really uh, kind of cool and it's super, super powerful. So the first thing I'm going to do is really simple. All I'm going to do is change this from a line chart to a candlestick chart. And that's really the only thing I want to look at with you on here. Um, I am also going to add moving averages. 
these moving averages are vitally important and if you don't have moving averages like basically you're trading blind so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna add the 50 moving average I'm gonna add 100 moving average and I'm gonna add the 200 moving average because those are vitally useful I know there is not a chance I would buy this stock without understanding where the moving averages are um, just because moving averages are so 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 critical um, which is cool right and so here we kind of have those first three moving averages and I think we got on the stock with right around, what, here or so? So we'll kind of zoom in a little bit on this and kind of walk through what the mentality was coming into this investment. So kind of the first thing we see here is before this, right, we've got kind of stock going up. And like I said, this is a bigger stock. This is not like a technical play by most means. This is like mostly a fundamental play. And the reason why is because if you zoom out and zoom out and zoom out and zoom out over and over and over again, what you're gonna see is like this stock basically just like keeps going up. And if we kind of zoom out more to a point of a weekly chart, which I think would be a lot of you to look at, you can see that it's a little bit more of a play on like whether or not the market's gonna go up. Like this went up and up and up until the market crashed in 2000. And it went up and up and up until the market crashed in 2008. So it's a little bit more of what I would call a marketplace because it's really just based off of the market. And this investment was based off of the market. Like the market went up, this stock went up. That was kind of the, the takeaway. And what I'm going to do real quick before I go up on the stage, I want to add two indicators that are very, very just insanely useful. One of them is stochastics, the other one is MACD. You guys should learn about this in the Stock Market Secrets Masterclass. But basically, I want to add these. I want to also add a two-period RSI because I know that's going to be super, super useful. And I want to add a bull interbands. And I know bullish brands are going to push the limit on what you can see on the screen, but they're important and they were definitely something I was looking at getting into this investment because Bollinger brands are just, they're so important. Um, they, they really, really, really are. Um, and so if you ever want to change, yeah, like that should work out well. Um, okay, so basically, like we're looking at an entry kind of right around here, right? And what we see here, the first thing that's, that's really important that was like the big key thing for this investment was the stochastics drop super, super low. So you can see historically the stochastics are high, the stock price goes up. The stochastics bottom out, the stock price bottoms and bounces. Uh, same thing here, the stochastics bottom out, the stock price bottoms and then it bounces. Same thing here, the stochastics bottom out, the stock price bounces out and then it bounces. So when I got into this investment, I was trying to get in kind of like when the stochastics were going down. And I don't want to say I timed it perfectly because you just can't have this perfectly. But basically, you gotta buy on the stochastic low, so kind of like right around here. And what you also wanna see uh, as a validation is a MACD crossover. So you kind of see on the weekly chart here that when the MACD crosses over at really significant levels, the price goes up a bunch. And that's happened a couple of times over the past, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight years. Like the MACD crosses over and then it goes up a bunch. And so as you first get into this investment, at about 153, what you want to do is the first thing you do is you set a stop loss. So for me, like I'm looking at this chart, I'm looking at the volatility of it, and I'm like, okay, you know what? If it gets to this point right here, which is give or take, I, I think this is about 130 or so. Like I want out, I am done, I don't want to be in this investment anymore, then I'm out of it. And so that was sort of my mentality behind it. And so you want to get in, and the most important thing to do is to just give your investment time, right? You want to give your investment time to grow. This is why it's really, really useful to have uh, a bigger time horizon where you're not stressed out about you know having to sell the stock in two months to make rent or having to sell the stock in two months to you know cover a health insurance payment. Like you want to be investing with money that you have freedom over. You have the, the ability to let it sit there for a second or just stay somewhere and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. I remember uh, my friend Steve's mom was starting to get into investing. And like she bought her first stock and stock went down like 10% and she was forced to sell it. The reason she was forced to sell it is because she had to make a health insurance payment. And I'm like, are you serious? And we're having this conversation.
conversation about a year after it happened, and she'd never really gotten back into investing. And I'm like, well, what stock was it? And he's like, Apple. And I'm like, what are you, oh my God, because Apple like, like doubled since then. And then you miss out on all that money because in the short term, like it's okay. I was wrong on this position in the short term. I lost like, I don't know, four or 5% in the short term because I wasn't perfect in the short term. It's tough to time in the short term. But over time, the position went up 60%. So the, the shift here and the change that you kind of have to understand is like, you can totally be wrong in the short term. But what you want to look for is you want to look for confirmations of a movement. And so that's kind of exactly what we did here was really, really simple. You get in the position, right? You kind of see right here, this is the MACD. It had this really, 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 really nice crossover within about two or three weeks. So this blue line here crossed the orange line. And as soon as that happens, you are golden. You are literally the best. I mean, this is the dream. This is the perfect situation. And this MACD crossover lasted for almost an entire year and it rallied the stock up to almost 230 bucks. I mean, crushed it. A phenomenal, phenomenal turn. Now, the reason why is because of this crossover. Now, what's also interesting, looking at the entry point of this position, is that as we got in, sort of when, uh, oh sorry, this was the crossover. This was, that was in the past. This was the crossover right here. So you can see there was the crossover right here, which is when we, we got in right here. And then that crossover pumped it up for, our, you know, give or take 20, 30%. And so it's also cool to look at is like right at the entry point, you see that the two period RSI is like super, super, super low, really bottoming out. And that's really gonna follow the stochastics. You can see like bottom here, bottom here. And historically, like when this bottoms out, you can see there's a big boost, right? So this bottoms out right here, and then it bounces up. It bottomed out right here, and then it bounces up. So you can look at it historically and figure out, okay, if it bottoms out right here, and then it bounces up. If it bottoms out right here, and then it bounces up. And then it bottomed out right here, and then it bounces up. And it bottomed out right here. I mean, I could do this all day. The reason I can do it all day is because it works over and 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 over again. Bottomed out right here. Bounce back up. And so what you want to do is you want to have a set of indicators, a set of setups, like kind of what you've learned in stock market secrets exposed, cyber secrets masterclass, of like all these tools that you have in the toolbox. And here we're applying four of them and then moving averages. Moving averages are basically like everybody always uses moving averages, so I don't know any places where you wouldn't have a moving average somewhere. So I just kind of take those as a given. But we're using Bollinger Bands. Like if you look at Bollinger Bands, you can see they're kind of really high up against the top of Bollinger Bands until they get down to this, you know, 50 moving average, which is the core of the, the simple moving average right here, kind of in the middle of the Bollinger Bands. And so that's kind of a good place to get in because historically it's always kind of been in the upper range of Bollinger Bands, unless it goes all the way to the bottom, which is kind of unlikely. So kind of you know, comes down to this Bollinger Band middle range, that's a good place to get in. Because historically, it pushes against the top of Bollinger Band, and I can't even reach how high the stock goes, it goes so high. And so that's really the big, big takeaway here, is you wanna follow consistent patterns over and over and over again. And it's pretty, it's pretty basic, it's not that difficult. You just have to sort of be careful and make sure that like, it's not just the Bollinger Band, it's not just the bounce on the moving average. This one didn't actually bounce on the moving average, it's pretty high above the moving average, because this is better really, really actively, uh, this is a pretty like pinky stock. It's been really a lot of attention on it because it's been doing so, so, so well. You wanna look at things that are consistent though. So here, these stochastics are extraordinarily consistent. Every single time there's a bottom on the stochastics, like the thing bounces up, especially on the weekly chart, right? Because the weekly chart is usually a really, really solid one to base your information off of. So you can see it bottoms out 
bottoms out, and every single time it does that, it absolutely crushes it. And if you want to expand your time frame, you know, this is a weekly chart, so you can kind of expand this into a monthly chart if you wanted to. Um, but it's always, 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 always good to look at multiple time frames. For this specific investment, the monthly chart wasn't as useful just because it, it had kind of been going up so much. And a lot of times you'll have some of these bigger stocks, and when the bigger stocks are going up over and over and over again, it's a little bit more difficult sometimes to actually see any significant patterns on the monthly chart, but sometimes you'll see good patterns on here. You can kind of see this really nice crossover they did um, in 08, and so you'll get kind of bigger macro trends. You see this giant MACD crossover on the monthly right here. Like this would be like the biggest sell indicator on the planet because it only happened like once ever before. And that was the peak of another crash. It's kind of hard to see, but it's right there, right? And so if this crossover means the entire stock slashes forever and ever, you would kind of expect that this one right here would also crush the stock forever and ever. But it's important to understand where these are kind of based more on markets. And some of these monthly trends you're gonna see are based more on markets. And what that means for you is that when there was this little crossover here, there was a little bit of a temporary pullback, but it actually crossed back over and kept on going up. And so it's really important that if you're not 100% certain, like basically everybody knew that there was a bubble, give or take, once the bubble started crashing. Everybody knew there was a bubble once housing started crashing, or once, you know, yeah, and once it started recovering. But anyway, it was probably more like 2006 when they crossed over. So this is a sort of technical indicator to actually forecasting a really, 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 really massive shift, really massive move before it actually happens because of the underlying price move. But what's important to realize is sometimes these aren't perfect, right? And so you want to combine like these oversold with this, and you want to make sure that you know that like this says that it's really high, even if this says that it's really high at the same time, you still need to have what? You still need to have a stop loss. You still need to have a point where if the price gets to that point, you're out. Um, and so for me, I'm long in this trade, so my stop loss was about 130, 138, about 130 though. And it was below where I got in. But if you're, you know, if you're short this thing, you gotta have a stop loss, like right here. Because the moment it gets there, all it's gonna do from that point forward is go straight up. And so that's sort of the key, that's the foundation, is you have those stop losses, you have that change where you know, look, if it hits this, we're done. And, and that's that, and that's, uh, that's a really, Really massive key, key, key foundation to get. Because once you get that, all of a sudden it is way, 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 way easier to make a lot of investments instead of getting stuck in a couple of bad ones. Because once you are naturally conditioned to get out the moment something goes out, the moment it doesn't work out your way, all of a sudden it is way, 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 way easier to get quality results over and over again because you're focusing on what? You're focusing on the overarching movement, but the moment you're wrong, you're done. I have this rule that I follow every single day if I'm, if I'm trading 9 to noon. Basically, the rule kind of goes like this. If I have a stock I'm trading and it's a short time frame, you know, from, from 9 to like probably 10 o'clock, 10.30, if I lose money on that stock in any way, like if I buy the stock and I sell it for a lower price and I lose money on the entire trade, if I lose money on a trade, if I lose money on a stock, I will not trade that stock for the rest of the day because what happens is this mindset kicks in where you're trying to sort of recapture loss, trying to recapture, prove yourself again. When in reality, with most of these investments, what you're gonna see is that each and you know any of the investments that we look at here could make you a ton of money. And especially if you leverage those investments with you know options and other kind of investment vehicles, which we'll get deeper into later on, but, but really the core here is that like, you know, any of these stocks can do phenomenally well. Like Home Depot, 
you know, isn't the only stock that's going to go up, I don't know, 25 over 15, yeah, about 60, 70% or so. Like there are other stocks that are going to do that. And so you don't want to get hung up on a one investment. You don't want to get hung up on one asset. And what's cool is if you make money with something, that's great. That's awesome. Usually that's a really good thing to stick with. It works out really well. If you lose money, like no harm, no foul, you can get out of it. So for me, if this hit my stop loss and I lost money on it, like I would be done with that trade super quickly. The reason why is I don't trade stocks very often that lose money on And I definitely don't trade them on the same day if it's an active trade. The longer term investment, um, I'll be a lot more careful if I lose money. For this one though, it worked out really well. The reason it worked out really well is because I wasn't looking as much at the monthly chart just because I knew the market was really high. I knew that even though these looked like they were super high, the market itself was super high, so the game was a little bit shifted. And even though you know you see these like really overbought RSI shines, those are really only on the monthly candlesticks. And the trade here, again, was on the weekly. Once you realize the trade is on the weekly, all of a sudden it becomes way, 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 way easier to actually get at a really good price because you understand that you're looking more at the trends immediately and the trends now. When I got into this investment, I was looking at these trends and I was also thinking about those fundamentals. And those fundamentals were really important for me because the way I think about a lot of my long-term investments especially when the market isn't sort of, you know, right about to explode. Because um, I'll think about like, if I want to buy a stock for the next four years, I will pick what that stock is based off of fundamentals, and then I'll try to time my entry based on technical analysis. Because while it's difficult to time markets, it's ludicrously easy to time individual assets. It's ridiculously simple to time individual stock by following technical analysis. And so, like, I picked in my mind using the fundamental factors that we just looked at. Like, this looks like a pretty good stock. I think there's a lot of people shopping at Home Depot. I think Home Depot is going to do well because people buy a lot of things from Home Depot. And I personally know a lot of people that go to Home Depot. I see a Home Depot very often, and people are going there a lot. Like, I just have like, if you if you know at a fundamental level you want to buy a stock. What's cool is you can use short-term technical analysis, and now you're buying it at a, at a discount to what everybody else is paying for, and you're getting in sort of at the best time possible, um, instead of trying to buy it at a pop and then getting in at like 280 or 240 or 230s, and now you're only making 15%, versus making you know almost 70% on that same investment. Um, so that's kind of the power of these these assets, the power of these investments, is that you really, really, really want to know what you're getting into by understanding the company in the long term when you're making long term investments and then understanding short term technical analysis or even just the medium term technical analysis because heck, you could know nothing about this company, make a swing trade on this stock based exclusively off of this Matthew crossover right here, buy the stock at like, I don't know, 200 bucks and then sell it like three weeks later at 240, make, you know, 20%, walk away and do that again five times and then you've made what most people make in about a decade in about four months. And that's a, it's a pretty freaking phenomenal strategy and it works really well. The reason why it works really well is because all you have to do is realize that a minority of your results are going to come from, or a majority of your results are going to come from a minority of your trades. And if this trade takes you four months, three months, and you make in that trade what most people make in you know three years, like you're set. Usually you can't really predict like going into a trade. It's, it's really tough to know exactly how much you're going to make on these overarching long-term swing trades. It's not only really swing trades, but with overarching long-term investments, it is very tough to understand exactly how much money you're going to make on an overarching long-term investment. And the reason why is because very, 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 very rarely are you going to have a stock like NVIDIA where you have a technical setup, where you have a uh, price setup, where you have a pattern. Most often with your long-term investments, like a stock like Home Depot, which is a really big like long-term investment stock, 
you're mostly investing in that stock in hopes that in like 20 or 30 years, it's gonna be worth like way more than it is right now. Heck, you might be watching this video in 20 or 30 years, and I hope you all might be like a $2,000 stock. And like there's no way to predict that in the short term because in the short term, it doesn't actually, like none of this stuff matters in the long term. But in the short term, you can game it a bunch. Like for me, I would much rather make 40% a month, or 40% in every, year trading a stock for two or three months, then hold it over the long term, and over the long term make like 20% a year, just because like you're making more if you take active control over it. But if you're gonna hold something, and please, please, please like understand like this also has to deal with like actual markets, right? So the market starts to crash, which you know, based off the inverted yield curve, it's just a matter of time. The market starts crash, like this stock's gonna take a bump. It's, it's really gonna do badly. And so like when that happens, I'll be buying puts, I'll be shorting it, and I'll make a bunch of money on the downside. And that's money that long-term investors who don't actually take advantage of any kind of reasonably active money management are, are not gonna get at all. And so it's important to understand that what you're doing here is you're taking an investment that might over the long term, over the next 20 or 30 years or whatever, yields you a standard item, a 20% return historically, and you're turning that into like a 4x, 5x, 6x, 7x multiple every single year and you're turning it into an immediate game which is a really really powerful concept and that's kind of um, the mentality going into this trade is like yes this is a really great company yes i'd love to hold this company for the next 10 years but at the same time i know the market's pretty high and at the same time i also see that this is a really great setup so this is why i'm going to get in now and then when i exit is going to be determined by what it's going to be determined by market factors it's going to be determined by actual technicals in the short term right so you see how it's been playing out now, and you can see kind of this inverted head and shoulder setup. And then in the uh, MACD, and you can kind of see the price has been doing the same thing. You just hit new highs in an inverted head and shoulder setup. So, might dump some of this stuff at like, I don't know, 200 to 240 is like 40, so like probably 298. If they hit 298, that'd be pretty nice. But again, like in the short term, that might work out really well. But in the long term, this stock could go to thousand, thousand, thousand dollars. So, you have to sort of judge the market and know what you're playing in. So right now, you know, we're playing in a pretty hot market, so this thing you pump up, and then met peak, and then go down for the next five years. And like, I would much rather take my gains, take my money, and then freaking run home happy with it, than I would to just sit through a crash, and hold through a crash, and be like the people in 1929 who were like holding all their money as it lost its value more than, you know, anyway. The, the point is, like you, you kind of want to know what's going on. And the way you do that, and the method to do that is really, really simple. All it comes down to is technical analysis. And so kind of starting off here with our first stock, our first Home Depot, we're sort of seeing here stochastics, we're seeing MACD, we're seeing RSI, Bollinger Bands, and of course the 50, the 100, and the 200 simple moving hours. So I kind of expect you coming into this, you understand what these are. And if you don't, again, stock market series exposed, stock market series smash class, it's gonna be probably the, the place to go to get a foundation on that. You guys should be sorry, you should be awesome. So we've got these sort of as our core, and that's really going to add a lot more to our trading and our investing than knowing the fundamentals. Like we spend a lot of time focusing on fundamentals because it matters if you're going to hold this for 30 years. But if you think about just the current short-term trading for like the next couple of months, like all I'm really looking at here is like MACD, Bollinger Bands, because the moment it gets out of the Bollinger Bands for a really, really big amount of time, like usually that's going to be when you get out. This stock is at all-time highs, but it was not at all-time highs. I will be mapping a source support resistance levels to, to time my entries and my exits off of as well. Um, so that was Home Depot, really uh, kind of great investment. To be honest, it's, it's just performed really, 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 really well. Um, everything we're going to be looking at in this portfolio is straight stock, straight equity. They're all long positions because I don't 
think I knew how to short when I started this portfolio. So uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, that's our first position here in Home Depot, and a lot of really foundational golden principles go along with it. Um, that we get a ton of items. So with that said, have you get a ton of items modules? Go out there, apply it, absolutely crush it, and I will see you in the next module. Thanks. Bye. Hey, this is John. I hope you enjoyed the podcast episode. Now listen, if you want to get more stock market secrets and really understand the fundamentals and advanced techniques of investing straight from a hedge fund manager, then go to 9toNoonSecrets.com and claim your free copy of my bestseller, 9 to Noon, so that you can go from zero to 100 in personal finance and master the investing markets.